busy season. And, and from time to time, I will uh, look over at my husband during busy seasons like this, and, and he'll seemingly be off thought, and I will ask him, so what are you thinking about? And he will inevitably look back at me and say, nothing. It's like, how do you do that? How do you think of nothing? It's like my brain's just going 24-7. It's just like always thinking, always planning, always pondering something. And I remember when Pat and I went to a marriage conference a number of years ago and had heard that um, men have something that us ladies do not. It's called a nothing box. See, Brenda knows all about this nothing box. Yes, yes, this nothing box go to this nothing box and think about nothing. It's like, how do you do that? I, I, I can't do that. No matter how hard I try, I'd love to just escape to a nothing box for just five minutes. But I can't. I can't. Because the reality is, is my brain is always working. It never seems to shut off. It's always pondering about what's next. Well, that's where we find King David this morning as we continue our year-long series. He is pondering about what's next. Today's title for the message is The Scarlet Thread. For those of you that are maybe uh, visitors or newer here, we are using The 52 Greatest Stories. It's a weekly devotional. And we're going through this book, and that's what's kind of guiding our series throughout this year. Obviously, here's our foundation, the, the Word of God, but we use this as our guide. And so we pull a little bit from that most Sundays. Um, the authors do a fantastic job putting it together. And so they titled their chapter The Scarlet Thread, and and we're following that along because it's easier for people to connect online to our messages. But during uh, this this chapter that we're going to be in, it's 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there this morning. Otherwise, we always have the scriptures up on the screen as well. But it's during this time period, David is now king of all of Israel. He's captured the city of Jerusalem. He's living there now in this magnificent cedar-lined palace. And the Ark of of God, that that chest, we've we've talked about it this year, this chest that the Ten Commandments were in, this chest that symbolized God's presence, it had finally made its way to Jerusalem. They'd finally got it there. The road was bumpy, but it, it finally arrived. The, ta- the, the tent that, that it sat in was now erected and, and the Ark of the Covenant of God was in its place. That task had been accomplished. And so David also was enjoying a time of peace with his enemies, a time of rest. And scripture tells us that David, now settled in his palace, began to wonder what's next. And the tent that housed the ark of God came to his mind. God lives in a tent, he pondered. Now that he's settled in his beautiful palace, it's really starting to bother him that that God lives in a tent. Something should be done. It's time for an upgrade. I'm going to build a house for God. That's what went through David's mind. And so he called Nathan the prophet, and he explained what he desired to do. And the prophet tells David in agreement, 
do do what God's put or what is on your for God is with you. And so that's kind of where David settled. He goes to bed that night thinking, I'm building this house for God. But just because something is a good thing doesn't mean that it's a God thing. I think that's worth repeating. Something, or just because something is a good thing doesn't mean that it's a God thing. In fact, that very night, God spoke to the prophet Nathan. And so we're going to look at those words this morning as we start out. But before we get into the word, let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, it is powerful. It is life-transforming. And we pray, Lord, whatever it is that you want us to individually take away this morning from your word, Lord, that you'd help us to, to grab hold of it and to allow you to change our lives with it. Lord, you are so faithful. You are so good. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to start out with, with chapter 7, verse 4 this morning. It says, but that same night the Lord said to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I've never lived in a house. From the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day, I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle. And did I skip a line? <laughs> I have never lived in a house from this day. I brought... So maybe we should just start all over again. <laughs> oh, goodness. But that same night, <laughs> the Lord said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I've never lived in a house. From the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day, I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling, no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israelites' tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? God's saying there isn't a need for anything different. God would choose the right person at the right time and instruct in the right way for the building of his temple. The instructions haven't been given because it isn't the right time yet. And David is not the right person. Now sometimes people mistakenly think it's because of David and his sin. But that isn't the case. David didn't have any ulterior motives when he wanted to build this temple. He didn't have any selfish desires. He didn't need to flaunt his name. He didn't have to show his accomplishments before the people. He didn't have to hang a sign, the house that David built, above the temple doorway. He just earnestly wanted to honor God. But God had chosen David for different purposes. God had chosen David to unify and lead Israelite, the Israelites to destroy their enemies. And this was a huge task. A huge task that would require that David be a great warrior, and in that he would have to shed a great deal of blood. And the Bible tells us that God did not want his temple to be built by a warrior. God said no to David. 
Have you ever found yourself in David's position? Not being a king, but God saying no to you? Have you ever been there? You set out to do something good, but God said no. God's no to you might not have come through the mouth of a prophet. It might have been that a door got shut, or maybe opened in the first place but you knew whatever the circumstances were that God was saying no this is not what I would have for you to do even though it may have been a good thing God's no brings about a response from us what was your response did you accept the no with all humility submitting yourself to the heavenly father's will knowing that he knows what's best Were you able to celebrate if somebody else was chosen to accomplish whatever good that you had thought was for you to do? Did you celebrate with them? Did you maybe even pray for them? Desiring and helping them to succeed? Or did you take that typical three-year-old stance? Lip out, arms crossed brow furrowed, kind of digging in your heels. Yes, even adults and kings can pout when they don't get their way. Now, maybe you didn't actually take that physical stance that I just did, but on the inside, that's what you were feeling. But then down the road a bit, maybe it was a few weeks, maybe it was a few years, maybe even decades you were able to look back and see that what God had planned for you was far greater than the good that you had wanted to do. And that's what David discovered when God said no. It didn't take him weeks, months, or decades or anything like that, though. He saw that what God had planned was far greater than his plan. Second Samuel chapter 7 I'm going to pick it up with halfway through verse 11. God's word says, Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty for kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offsprings, offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. You see, David's plan was way too small. What God had in mind was far greater. David was not to build a house for God. God was to build a house for David. God made this covenant, a promise to David that one of his offspring was always going to be on the throne. Second chapter, or Second Samuel chapter 7 is a good example of an Old Testament passage in which some elements of God's promise was going to find fulfillment in the immediate future. David's son would one day be on the throne. Of course, we know that that son was was David's son, Solomon, who God chose to build a house for him. I want to point out that even when David learned who his this son was going to be, even when he had just known that it was going to be a son, not even knowing it was Solomon, 
David still had a right response to God. He not only submitted to God's no, Scripture tells us that David even went on to acquire vast amounts of building materials. Now our companion book puts it that Solomon kind of had like his own Home Depot. I'd like to think that Solomon had his own Latvala lumber at his disposal. Now that would be all. But David desired to do whatever he could do to help his son to be successful in the building of the temple. He had a right response to God's no. You know, God's given all of us a purpose. It's obviously going to look different for each of us, and I've said that before. But some are called to make preparations for plans. Some are called to build. Some are going to do physical labor. Some are going to do managerial positions. Some are going to be behind the scenes. Some are going to be more out in the public role. But God has given each of us a purpose, and each one is important. So my advice to you is to just be ready. Just be ready for whatever it is that that God is going to ask you to do. You never know when he might have you changing direction, though. And so just be ready. Well, God made a promise to David, again, that one of his offspring would always be on the throne. Solomon and then other strictly human descendants of God, that or of David, that was the, the promise of that immediate future. But looking back at our passage, picking it up with verse 14, this is what God says of David's offspring. It says, I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure. Again, part of this promise was for the immediate future fulfillment. But it was conditional. David's descendants must remain obedient to the Lord in order to remain on the throne. God would be faithful to do his part. Psalm 89:34 says, "No, I will not break my covenant. I will not take back a single word I said." God made that promise to establish the kingdom of David's son Solomon, who would then build the house for the Lord. God fulfilled this promise to David in the immediate future through Solomon. But at that same time, again, that promise was conditional to the faithful obedience of David and his descendants. For the next four centuries or so, the line of David remained unbroken on Judah's throne. But when the kings of Judah continually rebelled against God by worshiping idols, disobeying his laws, turning their hearts from God, being filled with wickedness, God finally did remove them from occupying the throne. In this time, God even allowed other nations, specifically one nation at a time, but allowed a nation to overtake Jerusalem and destroy the temple that David's son had built. Part of the fulfillment of God's promise to David was for the immediate future, and that was conditional. However, there was one aspect of God's covenant with David that was for further into the future. And this one was unconditional. That the 
kingdom of David would ultimately be established forever. This aspect would start to unfold hundreds of years later. Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus Christ, a descendant of David, born of the virgin, living the sinless life, dying on the cross, he would be the fulfillment for the further future. And that would be unconditional. Psalm 89, verse 36 says, His dynasty will go on forever. His kingdom will endure as the sun. He came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to his promises he made to their ancestors. He also came for the Gentiles. And Gentiles just means everybody else but the Jews. But he also fulfilled the promise to Abraham and to all the nations that they would be blessed through him, including those Gentiles, including us. As the scriptures tell us in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 10, it says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. That heir is none other than Jesus Christ. For the Bible tells us that there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven, no other name but Jesus, by which we must be saved. Salvation comes through Christ. Christ came so that the whole world might turn from their sin, accept him as Lord and Savior, and give glory to God for his mercies to them. You see, God's plan for redemption of mankind is that scarlet thread that runs throughout the Bible, through all of history. The fulfillment of this promise involved Christ's resurrection from the dead and his exaltation to the right hand of God in heaven, from where he now rules as king and kings and lord of lords, that part has been fulfilled. So we live in a time of already. Christ is already king. It's already in that Christ's eternal kingship includes his present rulership over God's kingdom and his headship over the church. That's the already part. But there's the not yet part as well. Christ's future millennial reign over the nations and his everlasting kingdom in the new heaven and the new earth is yet to come. It's the not yet part. Turning to our companion book, the author writes, there's a lesson in there for us. Like David, we live in in-between times, toiling between the first coming of Jesus and the second, enjoying the already not yetness of God's kingdom. We may never live to see the day of his returning, 
It might happen this afternoon. Or he might wait another century. We don't know. But one day it will happen. One day people will do God's will as it is now being done in heaven. One day the lion will lay down with the lamb. Swords will be beaten into plowshares. The blind will see. The lame will walk. The poor will be rich. The weak will become strong. One day everything currently upside down will be turned right side up again. God is faithful. We can trust in his promises. Even while we live in the already but not yet, Christ will return. But until then, we wait. But it's not a waiting of complacency. It's not a sitting around in the already but not yet because God has given us each a part, a part in his big story. Not every believer is going to be called to build a temple, but every believer is called to be a temple, to be a vessel in which the Holy Spirit of God dwells, a vessel to be poured out with his love and his grace, a temple to be willing hands and willing feet for God and to those in need. Sure, some of us will be doing menial tasks in the world's eyes. But don't despise the small things. Because when you're about God's things, there are no small things. And when you know that what you are doing is what God is asking you to do, that you are doing what you are doing has an eternal impact, that it matters because your story is part of God's bigger story, well, folks, that's an awesome thing. And it's going to leave you humbled and giving God the glory. And that's where God's announcement through the prophet Nathan to, to David brought David. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 18 says, Then King David went in after he had heard the words through the prophet that God had said, he went in and sat before the Lord and prayed. Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. Do you deal with everyone this way, O sovereign Lord? What more can I say to you? You know that your servant you know what your servant is really like sovereign lord because of your promise and according to your will you have done all these great things and have made them known to your servant how great you are o sovereign lord there is no one like you we have never even heard of another god like you well there's good reason why david could say we've never even heard of another god like you because there is none. There is none as awesome and holy as our Sovereign Lord. Yes, we live in a time of already, but not yet. To praise Him that He has sent His Son for our salvation, we want to use our time to do that. We want to use our time to praise Him that we've been given a part in His bigger story. To praise Him because He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And that his reign is never going to end. It should put desire in our hearts 
to acknowledge his incredible goodness to us, to desire that his will be done in and through us, to set aside anything good that God says no to so that we can fully participate in the God things that he gives us to do, to be used by him for his glory and honor as he brings redemption to the world. Of course, God sending Christ was not an afterthought. It's not a plan B. It's the scarlet thread that runs through God's story, a story of his love, his grace, and his mercy for mankind. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? I hope during this brief message this morning that God has been speaking to to each and every heart. And maybe it was encouragement for you this morning that God has important work for you to do. As you maybe have reflected at, at what God is leading you to be doing, that you realize that your story is a part of God's bigger story. And that that cultivates praise and worship to him. Maybe it's a realization, though, this morning that you've been distracted by your own plan. Maybe that's where you're at. And you miss that God has been revealing his plan to you because you've been sidetracked until this time where you realize that your part in his story is going to have you causing it was going to cause you to change direction I pray that you'll seal that in your heart this morning before you leave if, if that's where God has you right now maybe for you you've just been having trouble hearing God life has gotten busy and things have crowded out his voice I pray that you'll take a few moments today to just ask God to speak to you as, your, as his servant, that, that you would encourage God to just speak to you. Or maybe this morning, this is the first time that things are starting to make sense, supporting what you already knew, that our world is not as God had intended it to be. Maybe this is the first time that you've heard that we're living in this time of already, that, that Christ has come and offers salvation. that nothing needs to be done before he comes back. It could be any moment. And that's why the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. That there's no better time than right now to decide to receive Christ as your Savior. To ask him to be your Lord. That's the starting point of experiencing God's big story. And so I encourage you, however God spoke to you this morning, before you leave today, that you'd seal it in prayer. Whether that be you just in your own way as as I close in prayer in just a minute, that you do that, or if you want to come and the prayer team pray with you and seal it that way, I just encourage you, however God was speaking to you, that you wouldn't leave before you say, God, I'm in. I'm in agreement with what you've put on my heart this morning. So, Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Your word is powerful. We thank you for the privilege of being able to be a part of your bigger story. That you give us all roles, Lord, and every single one of them is important because it's part of your plan, it's part of your will. And, Lord, I just pray that we would all respond 
uh, with obedience and humility. And that if it causes us to need to change direction, that we'd be willing to do that. Because, Lord, we want to be part of your story. Because we know that your plans are far greater than we could even think or imagine. And, Lord, we want to be a part of that. We want to see you change this community. We want to see you change our families. We want to see you change the world. Lord, we want to be a part of that. And so we give you praise and glory this morning, Lord. You are good. In Jesus' name, amen.